0: Hey, this is Dylan Collins, CEO of Super Awesome, and welcome to Kid Tech, the show where we go behind the scenes with uh, the makers, the creators, um, and indeed the analysts of the kids' digital media space. This is such an interesting conversation with Emily Horgan, uh, who does a huge amount of work looking at kids' content, both both theatrical and streaming. I think you're really gonna enjoy it. Emily Horgan, I have been looking forward to talking to you for ages and ages and ages. And I know I said that before we started recording, but I really, really, really have. Um, Emily Horgan, you are an independent media consultant. You are a kids streaming specialist. You, are, you and your, your LinkedIn newsletter, in fact, uh, Streamersphere, uh, are one of my go-tos for everything around kind of kids streaming content trends, but also other trends, I think, within the wide entertainment space. So welcome to Kid Tech. It's great to have you here.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this loads as well. And yeah, um, it's funny because the thing is I when I left Disney, the one thing I, the one thing I miss and I still miss deeply was uh, my research team the mm. people you were able to turn to, to go here, I want to answer a question, like smart person, output things that are sensible. Um, and so that's something I've been, like, I've, I've done all the digging on the public, public resources. And that's something I try to bring is, is just trying to, bring data around what we're seeing in streaming so that we can quantify and make better decisions about, about lots of things. So right. thanks for noticing. Thanks for seeing me, Dylan.
0: Oh, of course. And actually, for, for everyone listening, um, can you talk a little bit about your background and sort of what you did um, up until today?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So I came up um, at Disney and Jetix through broadcast. I worked um, in the EMEA in, in office across sea and emerging markets, across across the UK and Ireland, and then in the regional team. And I had a really kind of interesting, oh I thought it was an interesting job anyway, that uh, sat at the intersection of content distribution and monetization away from content, which it, namely, namingly when you work for Disney is toy. Mm. So looking at how the content that was coming through the pipeline, where it was going to be theatrical, pay windows, streaming, Disney Channel, pay t- pay TV channels, free free t- free T V free TV channels how all of that supported like the business functions of toys and music and magazines and, and even, you know, uh, digital products and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, it was, it was great education. Obviously it was, you know, at the time Disney acquired Marvel, then they acquired star Wars and, you know, the frozen, frozen phenomenon hit. So it was a, definitely a, like an educational time there, right. to put it mildly about how content can support, um, can support consumer products. So it's, it was a nice bird's eye view as well across the whole business. So I, I try to bring that to my writing and I try to bring that to the understanding of kids media because I think, you know, I, I'm not a cynic. Like I don't, I, I believe in content. I believe in great stories. I believe in great characters but I believe if you're making those four kids you should want them to own that toy because mm-hmm. that is the purest expression of kids fandom is that they want to own the toy. And, and that's a wonderful thing. So um, yeah that's a bit of background
0: i mean that is a delightfully neat segue into something i really wanted to talk about um, it was at the um the kids screen media conference a few months ago a couple of months ago and um, so many people asking and talking about how do you build a new kids brand in 2023 mm. know, which which given everything you described and like the the number of platforms and the amount of content noise and sort of you know so many options out there like it it seems more challenging than it's ever been. And, and you recently sort of wrote a lot about um, the breakthrough of Gabby's Dollhouse. Can you talk about, I, I suppose, maybe specifically about about Gabby's Dollhouse, but also about lessons that, that people can take from that in terms of, of building out new IP in, in, in this time and place?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I wrote uh, uh, 10 things about the Gabby's Dollhouse franchise strategy that just makes sense. Um, and the the team at DreamWorks have done a lot um, and they've, you know, they are responsible for the only other streaming led kids franchise, I would suggest, which is Spirit Writing Free. Although mm. Spirit Riding Free wasn't necessarily massively breakout. It's another story. It was still it was still definitely, you know, holding its, you know, washing its face um, as it came up. Um, uh, you know, the the thing that one of the things that drives me mad about when I talk to clients and people in the in the industry is like, I want to be Cocomelon or I want to be Gabby's Dollhouse. And like, mm. I think, you know, obviously, aim shoot for the moon and all the rest. But like when you are comparing your content against those, particularly Cocomelon, which has kind of been around on YouTube for so, so long, I'm not sure it's very helpful. You know, and I think it's it's more about stripping back to what you want to plan for your content and what you can control about that plan. Mm. Um, and I think doubling down on, on on that and knowing that it takes time and that these things do not happen overnight, um, is a, is a key thing, and and being comfortable with that. And it is mm. an investment. You're never gonna, you know, even if your content is wonderful, you know, you're never gonna have a breakout a breakout overnight, and and, but also you need to think about the kind of the temples that are available within distribution, um, marketing, uh, you know, franchise management, et cetera, that can help support that. So that is one thing I would say about Gabby's Dollars. And I was actually saying that to somebody the other day. It was my favorite thing about, about that is that they clearly had a plan. They planned the plan. They trusted the plan. And then they did the plan. And they didn't mm. get overly um, sweaty about, like, getting it done in year one. Mm. Um, the show was allowed to be a show for a while, um, which uh is is a luxury these days. I think that's one of the major problems that pe- people who are making kids' brands are having is that streamers are commissioning one season and they're not going in for a two season commission. I mean, at Disney mm. Junior back in the day, the the um ongoing uh cadence would be you would usually get a season two green light before season one had even launched in the US. Hmm. which meant that they had season one, they had episodes coming in, they had them extensively tested and they knew that, you know, this was going to be decent. And they also know that like, you know, building an audience for building an audience for uh, a TV series, you know, if you throw, if you throw it out after one season, you've thrown out that whole, that whole audience and you need to start again. So Hmm. that that I think is something that people struggle with is that, and when I say season, I don't mean like, you know, like streaming now it's like, Oh, season seven episodes. I mean like a proper season order of like 20 Hmm. plus episodes. Um, I you know I don't know the I don't know the detail behind what happened with Gabby's Dollhouse you know whether they had that clarity up front I know about a year later a second episode order was announced but mm-hmm. my sense is that was probably in progress way before it was announced um but you know they knew they had year one they were gonna you know the timing of it worked really well because it launched in January which gave it time to just build with an audience and be content before yeah. the consumer product lines kicked in I and mean, that's another thing I see that is never really a great decision and even at disney you know when you're a big even when you're the biggest player in the world launching product and content at the same time or within kind of 3 months of each other is is never advisable and um, mm. i can't remember one example when i saw it work unless you're talking something like frozen which is a completely different different kind of fish but you know um having the confidence in the plan being willing to invest being willing to go long term thinking mm. of, of a minimum of a three-year commitment before you're even making a decision whether a success or not. And I know that's really hard to hear because that's like, that's a lot of risk and I get it. Right. Um. But there's certain things you can do, as I said, that I think can support it. And that's things like YouTube strategy, that's things like planning your consumer product strategy to be kind of uh, sympathetic to how your content's launching. Um. And if you're launching and streaming, I have a big belief, you know, that you know, there's certain things that you can be doing that'll help, help the uh help the uh, the algo juice of the streamers work. And num- the number one thing is, you know, day one your content's on there, that is the day you hit with all the marketing. You know, that's mm. not something that I really believe because if you know the one piece of guaranteed real estate that a, somebody has launching on a streamer is the new, on right. Like so, right. their content will most likely be put on the new on rail, like the mm. visual rail of the interface the day it's new. And so it's about taking that moment where you are one click away from your viewer, um, and making sure the maximum number number of people um, click on it and, and 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 sample your content that day or that weekend, so that you hit the trending and you hit the all the others. You know, you hit all the other mm. kind of. roles. So um, that's my that's my thesis. I don't know. I can't verify that from the inside, but that that is my thesis.
0: <laughs> and when you when you compare, sort of something like Gabby's with how you would have seen that like a few years ago, let's say in Disney or in other places. I mean, has that like that, that sort of three year, you know, plus or minus going kind to of go to market timeline, has that shortened? Has that increased? Like, I mean, cause everything you described doesn't sound crazy different from what you might've said, like five or eight years ago. No,
1: I don't think it's that different, you know? And like, I think three years is an efficient, two to three years is an efficient timeline to do it on. Like that mm. is, that is the, the best you could get, I think um For a proper global franchise, I mean, I definitely saw, and I can talk about Paw Patrol because it, you know it's not a Disney property, but like I stalked Paw Patrol <laughs> back in my <laughs> Disney days, you know, extensively, and you could see that year one that content was on Nick Jr. It wasn't doing massive reach, you know, and they're building up that content, you know, that content volume, so that by the time they have twenty episodes, they're starting to ignite viewership at large because when people come into the content, then you know they can they can, they, particularly preschoolers, they can sample at large. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Having a preschooler on a diet of seven episodes of their favorite show is maddening as a parent because you just have those same seven episodes all the time. Sure. Having that depth of content, um, that depth of content volume, I think is, is part of the process, but it's, the issue is, and it always is this way with animation because animation is always late and dubbing mm-hmm. is always taking longer than you thought and all the rest. Uh, you know, stop me. if Anybody who <laughs> disagrees, I'd love to hear about your lovely experience because I, I, that's all been consistent for me. Um, is that when when content is launched? That's a great moment to, to make a big fuss about it. But if it's only seven episodes, it's hard because it's not at volume, and so it's it's this whole kind of like you need to make, have your big moment, but you need to keep plugging because once you get to twenty plus episodes, that's when you'll have that is when you might have the scope to start building it an actual brand.
0: And, and that reinforcement point sort of makes me think about the, the big debate that's been ongoing in Hollywood for the last couple of years around like streaming versus theatrical and sort of, you know, whether windowing is a reinforcement, whether binge watching is is sort of actually counterproductive in terms of long-term value. And you wrote um very interesting post about this, um, I think specifically in the context of, of family movie releases. Yeah. is Is that, do you... Do you think fundamentally the same way about like that, or maybe better question, like what is the best way to release a family movie today, all things being equal?
1: I My view on it, and and this is a view I see the data supporting, is that windowing theatrical plus then stream, like a short streaming window or like a, you know, relatively decent streaming window for first pay is nothing but additive. Like I have not seen a movie that has, significantly underperformed um in its streaming window after a theatrical release and that's even Mm. taking into account things like Lightyear, things like strange like strange world like you know both these didn't do well at box office you know particularly Mm. strange world and they didn't do amazingly at streaming but they didn't like they weren't in the toilet necessarily compared to Mm. compared to the other to the other titles so i i've never seen an example where a theatrical window has um has majorly effaced um the engagement on streaming. Um you know, and it's it, it's just been such an interesting time to be tracking this. Sorry, this is the kind of thing I get I it's just, you know, it's you know, data came in for streaming through Nielsen in 20 like late 2019, 2020. Mm. The pandemic hit. And so we have this really clean data set of what streaming alone looks like. And mm. like listen to me, there's been some major hits when we look at that U.S. Nielsen data, which we have from that time, Luca being one of them, Turning Red being another, like that was, they were, they were significant hits. The major one um, being Encanto, which was, um, it was, had like a limited theatrical release in that last Christmas of COVID, um, and then went straight to streaming within 30 days, and it is, still remains, head, shoulders, knees and toes above any other title to hit streaming in the U.S., and um, But I've never... So, you know, we have that kind of clean data period. And now we're moving into, you know, probably we're just coming to the end of the first year of actually, or maybe the first first year of full fat theatrical releases again. Mm. And I say that what we're now, April, like, yeah, nearly exactly a year now, because that first that first quarter of 2022 was still quite covid and and, yeah, and yeah. everyone can have, like that would be a totally justifiable exclu- excuse for a theatrical performance being a bit squiffy. Um, So now we're kind of coming into a full year of what, what success can look like with those two working together. Now, what I will say, what I'm seeing is we've never seen a hit to the same extent as Encanto and Luca um, and Turning Red, um, but we're definitely not seeing like as I said major toilet numbers for 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 the for the Mm. films that um that have hit streaming I mean there's interesting stuff coming through now and it's nuanced so like Minions for example Minions Rise of Gru which was Mm. huge last summer like such a phenomenon um you know it didn't do didn't have the legs on streaming that Encanto did or that Luca Mm. did Mm. um you know um so there's we're, we're getting new context now but I I don't think you know the, the the I don't I don't think the the event of a theatrical release can be anything other than additive to the perform, mm. to the content performance. And listen, I know it's 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 tricky because like theatrical releases are like first of all theatrical movies are expensive. Then theatrical marketing campaigns are expensive, and then you're giving you know half your ticket price to the to the box office exhibitors. So like right. you know it's not it's not a cheap business. But at the same time, you know I think the long tail. Um, when it comes to kids specifically, is worth it because, you know, on the flip side, these streaming straight to streaming movies, the cultural impact that they're having on kids, I'm not sure we're seeing. We're not seeing them have like major mm. longevity in terms of engagement and that kind of thing.
0: No. And how, how? But but how does like how does that tie in with sort of the the fairly commonly held theory, right or wrong, that like you know, kids content was always essentially a churn minimizer. On on streaming platforms, like d- d- does straight to stream need to be as good as theatrical qualitatively?
1: I think it, like I would have the strong belief that it does because like I look at so Disney right Disney Plus, you know it's obvious the slate we all know the slate that they have, and I know listen 22, 2022 twenty twenty two wasn't their best year, but you know you know what you know the value of all those movies that that that, that you're getting and and you're seeing. You're seeing that engagement. Netflix, particularly in the US, and, but the, the the same globally, have had and continue to have a very strong relationship with um, NBC Universal. So that covers DreamWorks, which is your Shrek's and your Puss and Boots, and it covers Illumination, which is Minions, um, Secret Life of Pets. Um, you know, so and you st- you still see those movies popping through. I mean if they didn't have them would there would there be an issue but yeah was, I suppose it's hard to quantify like Amazon Prime might not be Amazon Prime would probably be an example of a streaming service that doesn't necessarily have I would say a majorly robust selection of movies uh kids movies like like box up like sorry uh like marquee kids movies um I suppose they have other they have other um appealing points for parents um in terms of amazon prime is such a such a godsend when you've got a child that needs something tomorrow um but you know i i still think those big movies are a key part of the offering because what they're essentially doing is they're replacing the dvd collection mm. you know mm. and that's what parents like that's what parents have been doing with their kids it's you know you want to put them in front of good quality content that you know ideally everybody can watch as well you know and enjoy yeah, yeah, yeah. um and the straight to stream movies some of them are great and I think like I always one of my pet favorites is chicken hair and hamster of darkness I highly recommend it Um, and like I I think once we're able to once we're able to kind of like once uh, the animation industry is able to nail the way to make efficiently make movie like animated movies I think there's an opportunity there but there still needs to be those breakout marquee hits because otherwise you know I don't like I'm not sure fandom can be built on, on, on a streaming movie alone, you know, Mm. Um, it doesn't have that big a hit. It doesn't have that long, that longevity. And I'm, again, I'm a believer when it comes to the, like that expression of a child, they want the toy, they want the t-shirt. If the t-shirt isn't available, they're just going to be, they will be wearing a t-shirt of a different character and falling in love with a different character. So you kind of need to, that, that franchise component is obviously a revenue generator, but it's also a flywheel in terms of engagement in my view.
0: And, and I mean, I suppose, like, against that backdrop, like, when you look at or think about the growth, the continued growth in gaming hours, you know, which is is really sort of one of the big um, challenges for almost everything that isn't gaming, quite frankly. Mm. Mm. Like, is that, do you see, like, I mean, in, in 10 years' time that, like, you know... The, the hours spent today on on sort of kids content, be it linear streaming or whatever, mm. like has effectively been displaced by time spent in area, you know, places like Roblox or things like that, or or, or how like what what's your mental model for thinking about gaming?
1: Yeah, I mean that you make a really good point there, and my view on that is okay. So preschoolers preschoolers aside, because preschool, you know what I mean. Like you get, I know kids get into gaming younger and younger and younger, but. I think the the interesting part that's a challenge right now is that kind of like eight to 12 year old, you know, eight to 13-year-old. And it might be seven, you might know a seven-year-old who's mad on Roblox, and you might know a 14-year-old, you know, but that kind of that those kind of older kids, I think is um is a really, is a real challenge to the kids media industry from a from a, you know, audiovisual content point of view right now. Um, I think that the the young teens, I think, I think that was, yeah, the, the young teens are uh, kind of have been left out of the cold with, you know, gaming and social to keep them warm um, for ages. I think it's, you know, because they have really big conversations about things that are super awkward for a kid's brand to talk about, you know, and like, you know, about gender identity, about violence about you know like they they want to have those real conversations and social is one of the places they can have them and gaming you know the gaming experience is is something that yeah you know they can is is another area that they can explore um Mm. and i think those young teens you know they they do want to watch content we saw that with wednesday you know
2: yeah right
1: um and when content is made for them and you know it doesn't necessarily mean that it can only be made for them and not anyone else obviously the success of wednesday shows that it had broad appeal I watched it I loved it but it was such a teen show Mm. um but it got gory like like you know Mm. kind of like gaming gory I would say right like not comedy gory it wasn't that funny but you know it was it was theatrical let's put it that way Um, I think you know Netflix have done a great job at speaking to that audience for a long time and I think where where other where other um providers haven't you know Mm. they haven't Mm. made that kind of transition from say high school musical we're all singing we're all dancing we all love each other um you know our biggest problem is where we're going to go to college to actually the real conversations that, that teens want to be having today so that's kind of that younger teen the kind of 10 I mean, maybe 9 to 12 year old area and then kind of the 6 to 9 or the 6 or the 7 to 10 year olds who are kind of getting into roadblocks in a big way I think is another area where we're seeing that kind of a degradation in terms of brand you know brand names mm-hmm. that really resonate with them that originate from an audiovisual, you know from, from 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 streaming or from theatrical Minions you know big theatrical movies can still cut through like mm-hmm. like Minions I'm very interested to see this year because um there's an original there's original movies coming from Walt Disney Animation Studios Pixar Illumination and DreamWorks are all originals so I think I think that's that's something that needs to be answered when it's not a sequel like Minions, like, or beats the last wish, like, how can we make original stories cut through? That Mm -hmm. seems to be a little bit in in question. Um, But those kind of seven to nine year olds, when they're, when they're deferring from gaming, you know, a threat is, in terms of engagement, obviously, yes, gaming is taking up more time, but I think some more smarter people will see it as an opportunity and to look to gaming for some of these IP um, and how they can be kind of, uh, expressed across multiple platforms like I know like adopt me is huge and you know yeah. like that's screaming out for a, a great content play um yeah. like my, my sorry to, to go on a bit, a bit more but it's like with YouTube I feel like YouTube 10 years ago we were with YouTube where we are now with like the likes of Roblox that like 10 years ago somebody might have predicted that a massive preschool behemoth of a franchise like cocomelon would come from YouTube Mm. and and i think in the next 10 years we're going to see that kind of ip come from roblox and that. Yeah
0: it's 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 a really interesting point when you talk in terms of decades right Yeah. it's it's it's, it's like sometimes i mean it does like the emergence of trends like that looks absolutely yeah. obvious and definitely yeah. will happen but it yeah. could be as true in in 2033 as it is in 2023 yeah i yeah. i think that's 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 a very interesting observation and and do you i mean like from a Netflix point of view who you write about like a lot in the newsletter. I mean, I, it's probably fair to say they've been doing more than dabbling with their gaming strategy. Like, do you feel that's going to ramp up more? Like, is it, and is it still experimental or do you see like a sort of a very definitive strategy emerging there or is it just too early?
1: Okay. I will answer that question on the condition that you answer it back as well after me, because I'd be fascinated <laughs> to know your view on this. Um, Well, the things I've seen about Netflix and gaming that make me uh, excited and and convinced by it is ever since they announced gaming, they've been talking about building it like a content vertical, like all of the other content verticals that they did. So building it like they did for documentary, building it like they did for, you know, uh, local language content, building it like they've done for teen movie, right? Like with that degree of precision, And that and and not wanting it to be a big thing overnight, you know, and again having that patience to build what they're offering and not just um you know and not just say oh we've done it now. We've you know we've launched we we've launched what is it, is it 40 games? Do they have 55 and they're getting 40? I think they have 55 and they're getting 40. I was trying to think where they have it's it's it's, those numbers
0: are approximately right. It's 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 it's, much, it's it's more than you would think. More more than yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, totally. And I and I do think there's I think there's an opportunity there for a platform to bless gaming the way they bless con the way a a platform blesses content youtube for example does not bless content anybody can upload any sort of content give or take on youtube at all lots of it the vast majority of youtube content is not very good quality some of it speaks to niches you know and that's fine but when youtube content finds its way onto bigger platforms like netflix or you know, again, Coco Melon's on iPlayer now, like mm-hmm. that is kind of a blessing of that content. And I think there's an opportunity like that with gaming to be like, we're saying this game is decent. We're saying it's not going to like screw up your operating system. It's not going to pirate you. It's not going to spam you. It's not going to, you know, and I think that blessing, I think that blessing is, ha- has a good, has a good, has good potential for, for gaming. But what do you think? Cause I, you know, this is an area you're closer to. I'd love to know your thoughts.
0: Uh-huh, just because I'm closer to it doesn't mean I know the answer. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think I would share most of those. I mean, I, I think your your point on um your point on sort of the trusted curator of of content I think is good. I mean, like I always think about like the potential to build, you know, or or the necessity really for someone to build a a, a trusted sort of family digital brand. Like the closest thing you have to it today is, is Disney, obviously, but mm-hmm. they don't they don't proactively lean into digital space and digital tools and sort of bridging all of the interactions between parents and kids. And I think if you if you ask parents, you know, which brand do they know and trust, like Netflix seems to to score very, very highly in, in, mm. in all the data I've seen. So I, I certainly think they've got an opportunity there. I mean, I I think to probably pull this to a slightly different place, I was kind of intrigued by the the by Netflix's move into advertising and the resultant partnership with Microsoft, because I think when you like what people sort of downplay a little bit is that like you know so much n- not all but an awful lot of Netflix viewing is still on a very large screen, mm. right? As opposed to so much content that's been that's been looked at on a on a on a phone, um, and the premium that you've got for, from an advertising perspective on that kind of real estate. Is, is super interesting and actually somewhat limited in terms of availability. So I'm kind of intrigued by where Microsoft and Netflix go with that ad partnership and then potentially where the Netflix's gaming piece might fit into that as well. Because Microsoft is obviously building a very big and interesting ad business there. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: but, definitely. But I think the Netflix, the real estate thing on the phone thing, I, I, definitely, I've, I definitely saw a moment probably in the last three years where they seemed to really... Change their their phone interface and make mm. it a lot more. So they brought in like they brought in gaming. They brought in the for laugh section. Um, they made it a bit more of like a planner rather than like you know the, all mm. the could still stream on your phone if you wanted to. But the 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 native interface that you were served was much more of like a phony type of an interface.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. Um, I haven't seen you know that to me looked like a moment of like oh wow that, that's a good idea like they should double down on this. I'm not I have not seen. A great deal of prioritization or focus on it since it's not so, you know but like it's hard yeah. to start to quantify mm. these things yeah. um on the ad sales on the ad sales thing uh yeah i mean it, it opens up a whole it, it opens up a different subscriber base to them um on the kid's side the, the the cardinal thing that that mortally offends me about their ad tier is that it doesn't have any of their dreamworks content on it <laughs> and none of the dreamworks tv stuff so gabby's dollhouse isn't there right. Camp Cretaceous isn't there. Um, Boss Baby series isn't there. Like, I'm like. Anyway, that's you know Mm. a conversation between um, NBC Universal and 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 uh, and Netflix, and I'm pretty sure Peacock probably features into some of that. But you know, I
0: I assume there was an advertising rights issue there.
1: Obviously, but it's just like for an offering for kids to not have that DreamWorks content is such a that's that's Mm. yeah. Mm. I'm offended by that um (laughs) (laughs) actually on
0: on, but on on that topic when we talk about these media companies like is at this point is linear tv for kids dead like as in dead dead we've been talking about it for 10 years but like it's is it i don't think so really still
1: i think i think the linear experience for kids is and we're seeing this emerge now through fast Still yeah. has lot of potential, whether that's on an it's on a on a remote control channel one or some other experience within a, a, an S app, for example. Um the thing, so when I think about linear versus S or, or non-linear, like the key benefit linear has is that the best way to sell video content is through video content okay mm-hmm. so the best way and it doesn't even have mm-hmm. to be a promo or a fantastically mm-hmm. made trailer and i know lots of people you know like like i have colleagues who make fantastic trailers actually the best way to sell video content is through that epg experience where you drop onto something mm-hmm. and you sample it and you go hey i like this you know what i mean i'm going to go mm-hmm. and you actually get a full sample of the show um and the problem is that the f- flat um flat kind of streaming service interfaces these days don't uh you know don't provide that and I think that's where the I talk a bit about the discovery issue in streaming like you know and and kids brands have this a lot where it's like well how do I get above the fold you know that Mm -hmm. that idea of like how do I and and we have it a bit in YouTube we kind of know that there's a bit of a YouTube playbook out there people have shared their experiences Mm -hmm. what worked what didn't um but in in those flat streaming services I think that's 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 an issue yeah you can you can market to people on YouTube and send them to Netflix or send them to Disney plus but you get then you're getting them to jump an interface wall and it's always you know it's you know you're adding clicks to their entire thing yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah that is something I think that, that is something I think the linear the linear the linear experience has on streaming for sure um and I think Discovery is is much clearer in a, in a in linear experience and I do think people like that lean back you know that such mm-hmm. a curator kind of kind mm-hmm. of vibe. Um, I also think, you know, the shuttering of channels at large, um, of linear channels at large by big media companies like Paramount, Disney, et cetera, like some of that was definitely driven by the fact that they needed to get out of those output deals that they would have had with people like Sky, needed to reset, fresh start, you know, like I'm not saying that, yes, definitely kids TV viewing has been in decline, but I still think there's a place for a linear experience in the mix. Mm. And I think it could be, it has the potential to be quite a powerful place.
0: Yeah, interesting. Um, very interesting. Yeah, I've heard so many, so many views on this topic expressed over the last couple of years. <laughs> um the like, do you, when you look at the Moonbug acquisition and, and Moonbug were the owners of uh CocoMel and IP, amongst many others. Um are you surprised that there haven't been more acquisitions in the space, given the the generally accepted strategic importance of you know kids content and kids interactivity um it, it strikes me there should have been more are you surprised by that or is, is that kind of what you expected it's uh,
1: the thing is I, I, I my question would be a little bit like who are the players other than moonbug that are like big enough and specialized enough to be right to be to be juicy and interesting to to bigger fish um I think that's that's a question. I, I think, and I I I know just from conversations with people that there are plenty of companies that are looking to skill up and invest up and you know game up and 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 follow the moonbug moonbug model a little bit. And I think that I do think that's an opportunity because moonbug aren't the only, you know, they don't have the monopoly on it. Like they've got great expertise, but I think there's certain, there's definitely ways people could be doing things differently
2: mm-hmm. in
1: a positive way to moonbug you know, not better, I don't know, not better necessarily, but just take, finding different niches within that space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that that is kind of, those new media companies, the ones that I know of, I think are a bit small at this stage to warrant, well, yeah, may, maybe somebody with, with, with vision would see their potential, but you know what I mean? Moonbug made an awful lot of noise before mm-hmm. it was acquired. It was quite obviously a huge you know, it was, it was, you know, it was obviously a, a, a huge entity, you know, they'd signed Blippi, they'd signed Cocomelon, um, you know, they, they were making a lot of waves. They, had, you know, Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs on board as the CEO, like CEOs. Um, so they were very primed for it.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and these smaller, the smaller operations, I think, you know, aren't, you know, they don't come with that, uh, Ped, maybe the pedigree and the privilege and so people maybe overlook them a little bit even because you know you've come up through like scrappy YouTube creation or even scrappy, scrappy Roblox game development you know um you don't have a necessarily direct line to uh Blackstone media to get get them get them to acquire you and, and listen with that comes you know and I've seen this as well it comes some of that's that scrappy back end is going to make you a less appealing acquisition because it's not you right. know beautifully gilded um uh, mm. You might have done deals with, you know, to, to to create an MCN or whatever that are a bit like here and a bit there and a bit patchy. And, mm. you know, in order to get a Dublin to Spanish, you outsource the Spanish at a, a different company and they took a revenue share. You know, like it's a bit it's a bit yeah. it's a bit messier. Um, Yeah. So that that's what I think on that. I mean, can you think of any of I won't make you name them, but like off the top of your head that are <laughs> primed?
0: Well, anyone who knows me knows that I keep a list. Oh, and, dear. But no, I think it's it's been. Uh, it has been, it's a question I get asked a lot by, by both investors and, and bankers. You know, it's like on one hand, here are the growth dynamics and here is the growing influence of this audience. Yeah. And yet on the other hand, you know, the, the, the significant acquisitions, you can count on the fingers of one hand after you've had at least one, maybe two finger amputations. Like, so... I uh, thought you
1: were going to say well, after one or maybe two drinks. I was yeah. like- <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I mean... Probably ends up at roughly the same number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's so it's interesting. So no, I I suspect there are going to be more in the future, if only because I like I think in the digital space for kids with all the regulations and 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 sort of different types of compliance, you know, be it advertising or, or content or um, safety and community, et cetera, it is going to be get progressively harder, I think, to build bigger platforms. Yeah. So the companies that have some scale, even though in the eyes of strategic buyers, they might be subscale today. I, mm. I think you know tomorrow and, and, and or you know soon potentially there they get to be interesting. So we'll yeah. we'll see. where's the
1: moon book for Roblox? Like where, where who, who are those guys like that, that there's man?
0: there yeah, I mean there's definitely a few people doing interesting things in the Roblox space, rolling up developers, rolling up IP. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got folks like GameFam and Dubit and and, and um Creators Corp and, and people like that. Um, but but i think your your assessment of roblox being YouTube 10 years ago is a pretty good model to think about it um
1: yeah 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 no I think it has to be it's just it's just got it's got that that availability as well like it's just kids yeah. can just Jump on it. that's the that's that is the key thing about youtube and that that is actually it, it, yeah no it
0: is it, it is the immediacy we should we should do another episode just talking about roblox and what we think is going to happen so i think that would that would be very fun emily horgan this has been absolutely amazing to talk we i think we could easily have talked for three times as much time Um people can get your newsletter on linkedin right Yeah, on- the
1: kids streamer sphere on linkedin i emily horgan my full name on linkedin i'm emma horgan on twitter like come chat it's uh yeah join the conversation it's always uh Nice to find people who talk on these platforms, where, where I do my learning, as because I just sit alone in my office. Uh, other than that, <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right. Well, for everyone listening, go and join uh, Emily in her various newsletters and uh, Twitter. And um, brilliant, Emily. Thanks for joining us on Kid Tech.
1: Cool. Thanks, Dylan.